church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dennis Hall, and we're delighted to have you listening to this podcast today, right here in the middle of the Christmas season. And today we've got as our guest on here, Justin Bonner. Uh, the assistant pastor at First Baptist Church in Highlands, North Carolina. Welcome back, Justin. <laughs> Great to be back, Dennis. Well, Pastor Justin, we've got some interesting things to talk about today. Uh, we indeed are in the middle of the Christmas uh, season. People are putting up trees and lights and wreaths, and Christmas parades are occurring, and uh all kinds of uh, celebrations are going on. And uh, as I thought about this podcast, I remembered meeting a young man a number of years ago. I was I was working with a church up in New Jersey, and I met this young man there at the church, and he told me he had recently become a member of that church. And I thought, wow, that's great. And uh, so we began to talk, and I eventually asked him, how did you come to become a member of this church? And he says, well, I live in New York City. He said, but a friend of mine invited me to come and visit this church. He said, I'm 22 years old, and I hate to admit this to you, Dennis, but uh, I did not realize. My family was Catholic, but we never went to church. And, uh, but we had a Christmas tree every year and we exchanged gifts, and I was 22 years old, and I had no idea that this had anything to do with the birth of Jesus until I visited this church. Are you surprised by that? I was a little surprised. Yeah, Yeah, it's, It's like, how can you not make that connection? The more I've thought about it over the years, and the way Christmas is celebrated around the country uh, uh, and among people who don't go to church, I can see how that could happen. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. I, it's been commercialized fully, I believe. Well, yeah, it's so commercialized. And, uh, and and really, as time has gone by, when you get out in the retail stores and other places, um there's hardly a mention of the baby Jesus. It's all about the holiday. It's all about the holiday and the gifts. So I'm not surprised. You know, I remember when my children were young, this may have happened to you at times too. And and I can remember one time, you know, my spouse had turned on the oven and I warned one of the youngsters said, stay away from that oven. It's going to be hot. Well, in a few minutes, I guess he couldn't help himself. He wanted to put his hand on the oven. And, of course, then I heard the big yelp and crying. And I said, I told you so. I told you the oven was going to be hot. And, you know, as I think about Christmas, I wonder if God's not up there saying to us, I told you so. I told you he was going to be born. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That I mean, that's what the whole from Genesis three on. That's what the whole thing was building to, right? Oh, sure, sure it was. And uh, you know uh, what amazes me? Uh, you know, they say there's some twenty five hundred or so um, prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, and and a number of them are specifically about his birth you know, about the birth of Jesus. And, you know, and, you know, for listeners out there, maybe who are like my friend who grew up not going to church, we're talking about prophets who are talking about events that wouldn't happen for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's just interesting. And, uh, and so uh, in, um, Isaiah seven fourteen, you know we have this. We it, it, uh, the the prophet is saying to us, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And that's that. You know that's a a little tidbit on that verse was that that was one of the major controversies of the early nineteen hundreds during the. Uh, liberal, theologically liberal movement in the United States was that the the Bible that is the Revised Standard Version translation rendered the word virgin there, young woman. And that caused a, a big stir, a big commotion, um, thinking that they were denying the deity of Christ and the virgin birth and all of this flowed for, forth from it. But if you look it's interesting if you look at Matthew one twenty three. That's giving uh, where Matthew is speaking about that verse specifically. Isaiah seven fourteen. The word that he uses is virgin. So even if the Bible says young woman there, it's implied that it's a virgin birth. It just I know that's been a a place of controversy in the past among in the Christian world, and so I, that was an interesting. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm aware of that. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> then when we, we put that discussion in the context of Joseph, you know, we have Joseph described a, as a, uh, you know, soon-to-be husband who is extremely upset because he's got a pregnant uh, fiancé that he knows he hasn't had sex with. And, uh, yeah. you know, it took yeah. the Lord and the angels to get Joseph straightened out on that because, you know, what was happening was a uh, just a major supernatural event. You know? Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, so uh, so when you put it all in context, I mean, it's clear. And, and we have Matthew, you know, who was a tax collector and Luke, a doctor who who write in the scripture about these events and. These are not likely to be men who would be easily, uh, uh, you know, uh, pulled into some kind of concocted uh, myth. You know, they they weren't very gullible uh, men. And, in fact, the writings of uh, Luke even suggest that he likely had a discussion with the mother of Jesus, Mary, uh, who convinced him, yes, indeed, this was a supernatural event that uh, uh, occurred. And, and it clearly defies hum, human 
rationality. I mean, we can't rationalize uh, supernatural events like a, a virgin birth. I mean, billions and billions of people have been born on this earth. <laughs> there is no record <laughs> of a virgin birth. Yeah. Anyway, now, you know, we can artificially inseminate people today, uh, but still yeah. there has to be uh, some kind of uh, human activity to cause a birth. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really is fascinating, and it's really interesting to see the way that both of those gospel accounts in Matthew and Luke both kind of focus a different direction. You know, Matthew goes to Joseph and the the paternal side and his role in this uh, in in this event where the the dream comes to him and tells him no don't you know don't don't send her away marry her and you got to protect her and the child and then you see Luke it's it's fixed on Mary and her situation and and what happens between her and and John the Baptist mom and it, it really is fascinating when you start to you know, look at the things together. Most people will look, critics of the Bible will look and try to nitpick differences in oh, the sure. synoptic Gospels. And it really is, when you get down and do the research and really study and analyze them, it's fascinating to see how it all correlates together, how it all goes together perfectly sure. and seamlessly, especially in regards to the virgin birth. Right, because yeah. that was such a big topic of discussion in the early church. That's right, and uh, and you know, you you kind of we can ask the question: Why did God choose a virgin birth to bring His Son into? Well, first of all, you know, it had been prophesied in in the Old Testament. God had a plan, and He spoke through a prophet hundreds of years uh, before. But secondly, uh, you know, God knew that. Uh, his son, Jesus, was going to be involved in supernatural events throughout his lifetime and, uh, and in, you know, right to the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, uh, all very, I mean, his command over the uh, nature and the forces of the earth while he was living. And so uh, the virgin birth really sets the stage sets the stage for a supernatural ministry of Jesus. And, and, and it, it, Jesus, as the Son of God, as part of the Trinity, well, my goodness, we ought to expect that that whole ministry would be a supernatural ministry. <laughs> well, when we look at the, the clear teachings of Scripture on our, our own depravity or original sin, when you look at these types of doctrines and these types of uh, biblical teachings, and you trace that through the entirety of Scripture and, you know, Psalm 51.5, I was conceived and I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. And, and that's David speaking and not, not of there was sin in the act of him being created, but the fact that when he was born, he was born a sinner because he came from a sinner. He was fully a sinner. And so, for Jesus, he had to have be born perfect, right? So right. it had to come from God. And so it, it really is the only way that it would happen, even though, like you said, it's still, it, it, it had to happen to fulfill the prophecies. But even logically, it had to happen that way. You know, that's sure. what 
a lot of people don't think about it. They think that Christians are just shutting off their brains and their anti-intellectuals and nothing but feelers. But logically, it, it, it had to happen that way. Sure it did. Yeah, I mean, uh, it would be uh, uh, this broken human race. Any other way, it would be the broken human race trying to yeah. create its own Redeemer to mm-hmm. save them from their their sin, the profound sin and guilt. And so, indeed, the, the, the Savior, Jesus, had to come uh, through an outside supernatural means. Uh, you know, um, uh, it's very interesting when, uh, when uh, Luke records this in the first chapter of Luke, when... Uh, where it says, Behold, he's talking to Mary now, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And, you know, it's it's like, well, you know, God wasn't really asking permission. He wasn't, he wasn't asking Mary, is it okay? <laughs> no. He said, this is the way it's going to happen. Now, it was done, you know, as we read that account, it was done in a very caring a, a very deliberate, caring kind of way, but uh, but God was not asking permission. He was announcing that He was going to bring the Messiah into this world through Mary and yeah. uh, to save His people from sin. Well, it's it's you know I'm sure that a lot of social justicians and uh, Liberal theological critics today will try to argue some sort of. Uh, I've 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 heard all the way to you know divine rape in a way is the way that people have said it because oh, I've heard of the too. fact of the way that you're saying it and the one thing that I think is key that we have to look at is when we look at the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter two. It's just gone through a whole section of talking about why Jesus is greater than the angels. Because there was a there was almost an angel worship that was going on in the early church and in early Christianity because of the the level of authority that the angels had in the Bible when they came to announce a, a message of God. They were speaking completely the voice of they were speaking the voice of God to whoever it was they came to visit. And so in, in that chapter of Hebrews, it says, it's speaking about the gospel message that we received from Jesus. And what it says is, if the message from the angels was unalterable, unalterable is the word that the, the New American Standard uses, was unalterable, and you would be condemned if you disobeyed it, how much greater is the command from Jesus? And I'm saying all that to say there's a view of angels in the Old Testament, and we get offended at, well, the, the angel came to Mary and she didn't have a choice. Well, how come we never say that about the prophets? The right. angels came to the prophets and they didn't have a choice. Jonah thought he had a choice, but you see what happened there. Jeremiah tried to complain yeah. his way out of it, but you see what happened. So we have to see that for an Old Testament Jew, when they see an angel, they know this is coming directly from the Lord, right? And it said she found favor with him, all of that stuff. But we have to understand the way that that a herald of God is coming. He's speaking the voice of God. They would see it as an honor, not as some sort of— Oh, that's right. You know. Exactly. 
Well, you know, and even in today, I mean, uh, you're a young pastor and, and not too long ago, I was speaking to a young man who felt like he was being called into the ministry. We spoke really over several different times. And I can remember getting to the point where I told him, I said, you know, if you are convinced that God has called you into the ministry, you will be an unhappy man until you yield to that call. So it's really no different today. I mean, in contemporary times today, when God speaks to you and you know fully well he's speaking to you, then you're going to consider it to be an honor to be called out. And uh, and that's what was happening there. And, you know, and you think about this virgin birth. I mean, <clears throat> there's no other way this could have been done to have a Savior that's both fully human and fully divine in nature. I mean, and, and we know that's exactly what happened with the Son of Jesus. I mean, the Son of God, uh, that, you know, he was fully human and fully divine at the same time. He was born of a virgin and uh, grew up like we grow up as young boys. And he experienced the same things that other humans experience as he began to mature. That's I, it's interesting that we had this conversation this week, but yeah. my my personal reading time has been in the book of Hebrews. And as I was referencing before, and Hebrews really unlocks a lot of these questions that we have. Now, I wouldn't recommend a, a young Christian just diving headlong into the book of Hebrews because it has to do a lot with the Old Testament. But if you do a few readings of the Old Testament, I believe that you'll have a little bit better of a grasp and you'll be able to navigate it. But what it talks about a lot in the book of Hebrews is right there in the beginning is that Jesus, all those references where Jesus says, uh, I'm your brother, right? They're my brethren. If I if you deny me here, I'll deny you before my father. And the flip side of that is that I will call you brethren before my father. And it speaks of Christ being a high priest that knows our weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses because he lived a life in the flesh and of suffering. So for Christ to say, you are my brethren, and for Christ to be that high priest to intercede for us, as we see in the Old Testament, he had to actually physically come in the flesh, which is what the the Gnostics and the Docetists were all arguing against. You can see that in the book of first John, that's a good book to study on to refute that. But yeah. You know, in Genesis uh, 49, uh, we're told that there will be a descendant of Judah uh, praised by all described as a, a lion. He'll be the one who rules over all the people. He'll be the one whom all his brothers bow down to. He's the one who will be feared. His kingdom will be a, uh, a, a an external kingdom, and there will be none capable or worthy to challenge his throne, and that one day all nations will bring tribute and worship before him. And he's the one to whom all nations will owe obedience. And so we have this, this other um, a prophecy coming out of, of the Genesis telling us that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. 
And we see that it's really fascinating that we see that constantly uh, what the word would be used uh, typological, typologically shown in the Old Testament. You know, you read a simple line of that of uh, he'll be above his brother, right? His brothers will bow down to him. Yeah. That those things are constantly fulfilled by human sinful kings in the Old Testament. I mean, look at David. He's probably the greatest type or shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. And and a lot of those things line up with what happened with David, right? But when you read things about the internal kingdom and putting all nations under his feet and all the nations bringing tribute, you can see and understand why those first century, those early Jews would think that he wasn't the Messiah because they read that and they think, well, he didn't do all those things. He didn't bring this kingdom, but they missed the heart. They missed the heart change. And that's why I would say with a, with a spirit of prayer and praying that Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. I would look into the book of revelation, not as a, some sort of doomsday clock, but as a picture of this, that this is referring to the book of revelation is that Jesus, that this is referring to that conquers that all the nations do bow down to. Yeah. Yeah. We know, we know the end of the story that that he's, he is the, the, the conqueror. And, you know, uh, it kind of brings us to the question of, well, why Bethlehem? What's so, you know, what's so special about Bethlehem? Why was Bethlehem, uh, this little, small town, you know, five or six miles southwest of Jerusalem in a mountainous area. Why? Why Why Bethlehem? And, you know, when we talk about the Christmas story in our churches and other places around Christmas time, we talk about Bethlehem a, a lot. And, uh, you know, in Micah 5, the prophet foretold that uh, Messiah would come from the small and and this insignificant little town of Bethlehem, you know, he he said, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are the only small village among all of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly favored around the world, and he will be the source of peace in uh, Micah 5. And so here again, you know, we have this this prophecy hundreds of years uh, before Jesus is born telling us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, of course, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Bethlehem's a special place. You know, you've referred to, uh, you know, you've referred already to, uh, to King David, and uh, you know, and, and that's, that has a direct connection to Bethlehem. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think. Oftentimes, as as believers, sometimes you know we get we get bogged down with things like um, numerology is a good example. There are importance to certain numbers in the Bible, but oftentimes we'll get. I mean, there's books this thick written on these codes and the numbers. And and I think we get really bogged down with that. And then we think 
Bethlehem, but you know, we try to make some sort of code out of it. But what we need to understand at a base level is that even something so small, like Micah 5, where he says, but you, O Bethlehem, that's where the Messiah is going to come from. Every single tiny, insignificant prophecy is fulfilled in the scriptures. That's, that's right. the point. That's the right. point of it being Bethlehem is the fact that he said it was going to be, and he orchestrated all of that to happen. That's he orchestrated right. these wise men to travel from the east to see Herod, who was uh, terrified that someone was going to overthrow him. And so then Herod decided to ask his scholars who knew the Old Testament better than anyone. They yeah. were the church the church folk. That's right. And he asked them, and they knew exactly where he was going to be born because yeah. they knew the Bible better than anybody else. That's God right. orchestrated and showed all of that. That is his faithfulness to every single promise that he has ever made. And when he says something, he means it, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, for our listeners, I, I hope they might read the book of Ruth. It's uh, just a poignant story of some unbelievable biblical characters uh, of Naomi and Ruth and uh, Boaz. And, and uh, all, of the, all of that took place all around Bethlehem, that whole uh, story. We don't have time to tell the whole story of the book of Ruth on this podcast, but I would urge our uh, listeners, they might want to look at the book of Ruth, which is a wonderful reading. And so uh, what we do know is the prophet Samuel, you know, he reached a point where he needed to find a king for the Jewish people. And he went to, where'd he go? He went to Bethlehem and he spoke to a businessman there by the name of Jesse. And he chose Jesse's youngest son, who happened to be David. And uh, he was so struck with David's love of God that he chose him and said, this young boy has got to become the king for the Jewish people. And eventually Bethlehem began uh, became known uh, as the city of David. I mean, his kingdom grew to a point and uh, his military grew to a point where Bethlehem, you know, held the, uh, the stockades for the uh, Jewish people there. And so it became a significant Old Testament uh, city. And again, uh, you know, uh, well, in fact, King David was the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz, and he, he literally grew up. King David grew up in Bethlehem. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, then yeah. you see that bad king versus good king, you know, that, <laughs> How the how the nation of Israel begged and begged for a king and in, in an unrighteous way. And so God said, OK, here you go. Here's Saul. <laughs> Saul was not from Bethlehem. Saul was not from a, a righteous place. Right. He just said, here's Saul. And that was a punishment to them. And when the, the nation had realized that the Lord in his providence and keeping his promises, he said, OK, now I've chosen this king. I've chosen this king. Now go to Bethlehem, and then he showed, He told him which of the sons it was. God even told Samuel, no, ask again, ask yeah, again, right, ask again, right? right. right? And that's, that's, right. that's God's providence in making that genealogy legitimate and complete that we find in Matthew, sure. right? And, and, you know, uh, well, even, even Joseph and Mary going to uh, Bethlehem, you know, the, uh, the Roman government, 
I was taking a census, and their normal way of doing a census is the people wherever they lived came and uh, and, and registered for the census. It was really Rome's way of uh, making sure they were taxing everyone. But they made an exception for the Jews. They accepted the Jews. The Jews could not go and did not want to go to the place where they lived uh, to register. They wanted to go. The heritage was so important to the Jews. They wanted to go to the place uh, where their family was from, where they were from, where their tribe was from. And so for Joseph, that was Bethlehem. And so he had to travel to Bethlehem. But the Roman government was making an exception. And so, again, as you suggest, you know, God is putting all the pieces in place mm-hmm. you know, to make, it's fascinating. create the fulfillment, the fulfillment mm-hmm. of Old Testament prophecy. Just amazing. You know, today uh, you can visit Bethlehem. It's a city of 60,000 or so people. And one of the most famous uh, Christian sites in the world is the Church of the Nativity, which still stands there today, which... Uh, people believe is the very site where Jesus was born um, and tremendous tourists get there today. You know, it's commonly believed that uh, uh, Jesus was born in a stable. It's, it's sort of the common story we hear today. The scripture is not really clear on that fact, but what the scripture is clear on is that after the birth, Jesus was laid in a manger. In other words, a trough, where the animals are fed. And, uh, and so, uh, and there's no fanfare, you know, there's no nothing uh, go, about his birth that's fair, except for his, uh, you know, the angel of God appearing over the shepherds and announcing, you know, that the, uh, that the Lord, the savior, uh, the Messiah, I mean, that's what the angel told them is mm-hmm. uh, been born and fear not. And so things began to happen, but, but uh, it's very interesting that this man who uh, grows up to change the world uh, uh, goes to the cross for sinners and becomes such a, a figure in terms of his uh, God's power and glory that would be born in, in, in such a lowly place, attended to by lowly people. And, and one, of the most, one of the most fascinating things about that, too, that I— didn't know for a long time. I, I had always heard, you know, he, he was born, you know, born in a stable. They and they wrapped him in swaddling, swaddling clothes is what I always heard. I guess I don't know why people said clothes or maybe that's the way I heard it. But it's actually swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now, this really blew my mind. <laughs> so swaddling cloths, do you know what those are? Yes, I've read that. Go ahead. Swaddling cloths are the the cloths that were used to catch the sacrificial lambs because they were supposed to be kept spotless. The spotless lambs that would be used to sacrifice for the sins of the people, they would catch them in these and wrap them up and take them somewhere so they wouldn't even get dirt on them. And the, the spotless sacrificial lamb of God is caught in the same thing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, right. Exactly. It really is. You know, all of those little things hold great divine significance. And, um, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, just seems to me that uh, 
uh, you know, throughout Jesus's life, you know, we, we see him over and over again uh, teaching us uh, the importance of the least among us. And right here from his beginning, uh, he is attended by the least among us. And so it's kind of set the tone for the, Jesus' entire life. You know, in uh, Matthew 1, uh, you know, we're told that uh, Jesus is from the seed of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. And uh, literally, some have tracked this all the way back to Adam, you know, in terms of Adam beginning the world and then eventually uh, uh, we see Abraham appear in the scriptures. And of course, we know that God made a covenant with Abraham. And he, he in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he promised Abraham seven things. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. In you, maybe the most important thing, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And if you look at the if you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul speaks about his Ephesians three. Paul speaks about his divine appointment and the way that God made him a minister of the gospel. And what he refers to is, is he says the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying the mystery is that the Gentiles are included in this promise as well. And so the the Matthew, the Jewish synoptic gospel you know matthew is for the jews luke is for the gentile yeah. matthew's lineage gets traced directly back to abraham to prove that's the legal genealogy that's right. that's jesus's legal right to the throne of david but then you see mary's genealogy in luke and that leads all the way back to adam right. showing no this is god's promise to everyone right, that's right. to not just Jew, not just to that covenant, but to all, the Gentiles included. Yeah, and, and of course, you got right here in Genesis uh, early on where the prophets are telling us, look, Abraham, you're going to be blessed uh, in a way that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, all means all. I mean, Jews and Gentiles, everyone, all. And who could mm-hmm. do that other than Jesus? Yeah. Who could do that other than Jesus? And so you're right. I mean, you know, all through the Bible and all through the Old Testament, uh, even though uh, the Jewish nation is, is acknowledged as God's uh, chosen people, his salvation was going to be for all. Uh, and what the impact he was going to have would be from all. You know, uh, uh, as we near the, I guess, the end of this uh, podcast, uh, there's some things that I'd like to uh, point out to our listeners or, and maybe maybe pose the question, and that is, what if Jesus had not been born? You know, in the Roman world, adulterous husbands viewed their wives as property or playthings, uh, but it was Jesus who demanded that a man be committed to his wife uh, and love her sacrificiously. This was a huge cultural change. It really was Jesus who established equality for women that has impacted the entire world and the contemporary world. You know, it's Jesus who taught us about human rights when he said in Matthew 5, 
love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus, he changes the way the world looked at human rights. And then in Luke 14, Jesus said, but when you give a a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And then over in John 3, the apostle Paul is completing this thought when he says, if anyone has the world's goods, anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, uh, how does God love and abide in him? And the truth is, many of the world's healing institutions, uh, hospitals and other places were founded by Christians based on these uh, principles. Uh, We have Christian missionaries and volunteers all over the world ministering to people's physical and spiritual needs. You know, it's we could not even begin to estimate, estimate how many lives have been spared and people have been healed and treated and how many of the hungry have been fed just because of the teachings of Jesus. Now, you know, Jesus uh, asked us what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You know, based on this teaching, many, many institutions of higher learning all over the world have been established by Christians. Many here in the United States of our leading institutions were originally um, Christian church institutions. And so uh, when it when it comes to education, uh, Jesus has impacted even what we do in the world of, uh, of learning. And, um, you know, lastly, I'll just say this, and I think I can say, (laughs) Pastor Justin, I'm saying this on behalf of both of us, and that is, you know, multitudes of individuals have been transformed and changed by the love of Jesus. I mean, he's provided hope, a way to overcome sin and the promise of eternal life with him. And both of us will just say to you today, if you're listening to this podcast, if you do not personally know Jesus, today, today can be a new beginning for you. Uh, if you seek him, if you seek him. Now, to everyone who's listening and to my friend, Pastor Justin, Merry Christmas. And thank you for listening to us today. God bless you.